Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for the rain, the thunder, and the lightning. We see just a, a little taste of your power and glory and majesty, and we love it. Oh, Father, I pray that our hearts would be stirred even by your creation today, and that it would provoke within us spiritual thinking, minds that are fixed on Christ as upon the center of the solar system of Christianity. May we find in Jesus today everything to satisfy our souls and to change us and make us more like Christ. Lord, these things we ask, seeking your face for these things right now, and we do so in the name of our Savior and for his glory. Amen and amen. Could we get those doors closed? That would be great. Thank you very much. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. A familiar text, but profoundly woven into the very fabric of the scriptures. Last time we met, we were reminded of the 16th century astronomer Nicholas Copernicus, who discovered that all the mathematicians and astronomers of the previous ages have been wrong regarding the order of our solar system. And the reason they had all been wrong for such a long period of time was because they had all mistakenly oriented their, the foundational calculations that they made upon the earth rather than the sun. And in my mind, as I said last week, that kind of became somewhat of a parable for me on the teaching that Paul is giving us here in, in the book of Colossians that he presented to the ancient church of Colossae, and that he is now presenting to the modern church here in Fort Worth. Well, so let's begin this morning, if we will, by reading the text. I know you just got settled down, but why don't you stand with me in honor of God's word, and we will read just these four verses together. This is Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on these things that are above and not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You can be seated. Well, this is the third time that we have considered these verses, so you already know that Paul here is helping us to see that the core of Christian living can be stated in really in just two commands. And two commands, which I will mention at the end, are really one thing with two parts. It's like two wings on the same airplane. It, it just doesn't fly if you don't have both. And here are the two. Number one, Keep seeking the person of Christ. And number two, uh, keep setting your mind on Christ. Keep setting your mind on Christ. Keep seeking the person of Christ. It's what we talked about last week. In other words, the first thing we find at the core of the Christian life is a conscious dependence on Christ 
that leads us to fly to him for everything that we need and everything that we desire from his riches and glory. And I won't re-preach that message. There'll be enough for today, but you can go back and listen if you want. The second command, however, is to keep setting your mind on Christ. Keep setting your mind on Christ. Now let's talk about what Paul means here when he says, keep setting your mind on Christ. Look at verse 2 again. Set your mind on things that are above not on the things that are on the earth. Now, I know I have said, keep setting your mind and keep seeking. Where does that come from? Well, keep setting or setting your mind, set your mind is an, is an active imperative verb. In other words, Paul's giving us a command that we should do and never stop doing. Hence, keep setting your mind on things above. And so from the beginning, we begin to realize that keep setting your mind must be a major part of Christian flourishing that involves what you permit yourself to think about. What do you allow your mind to drift toward? What do you find yourself thinking about when you have time to do nothing else but let your mind go wherever it wants to go? Do you rein your mind in? so that you will be thinking the thoughts of God. A few weeks ago, we learned that the most important part of battling temptation is what you do when you're not being tempted. More specifically, what do you think about when you're not being tempted? Paul wants us to be strategic and intentional with those thoughts, not allowing your mind just to go wherever it wishes. When we talk about Christian flourishing, we understand to intuitively that what church you belong to matters. We understand that your choices of friends matters. You understand that cultivating spiritual discernment matters. And there are other things that matter, clearly. But do we understand that what we allow our minds to drift toward or to camp out on is even more important, that it matters more? The preoccupation of your mind matters more than anything because what you do, listen carefully, what you do is always preceded upon what you think. Your thoughts will always be the impetus, the impetus for what you do. And this is always true, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. It's just that Paul's concern for you, the church, is that your minds be focused on Christ. Whatever controls your mind controls everything else about you. Whatever you allow to control your mind controls everything else about you. Paul implies this truth but in Romans chapter 8, the 8th chapter of Romans, verses 5 and 6. Listen to these familiar words. Paul writes, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. What Paul is saying here, among other things, 
is that the reason a person lives according to the flesh is because that's where his mind is. And the reason a person walks in the Spirit is because that's where his mind is. And what about you as a Christian? Where has your mind been this morning? Are you walking in the Spirit or are you walking in the flesh? I can tell you this. However, whichever way you're walking, it is because of how you are thinking. And so this is what Paul is teaching us. Perhaps it's evident now why I call this short series the core of Christianity. The Christian life at its core is not merely about going to a certain building on Sunday and doing religious kind of things and singing songs, even if those things are biblical and right and good. That's not the core of Christianity. We don't need these buildings. I mean, they're a comfort to us. They make it easier for us. But you know what? We can worship and we can be the church. We can honor the Lord in everything without any of this stuff. There are, there are persecuted people around the world who sing together without making any sound. They mouth the words because it's too dangerous for them to sing out loud. And you know what? They can worship Christ together. It's not a matter of the externals. It's always a matter of the heart. The core of Christianity is how we relate to Jesus Christ from the depths of our inner person. How you relate to him from the heart even down to the secret thoughts of your mind. Your mind matters to God. Your thoughts matter to God. To set one, one's mind on things above, then, is synonymous with setting your mind on things of the Spirit. It means that we are intentional. We are intentional about orienting our thoughts toward Christ and the things which His Holy Spirit desires. Whenever possible, the thoughts about Christ, his promises, his saving, atoning, grace, his kindness, all of these things are available for us and should be commonly on our minds on any given day and on any given occasion. And likewise, the flip side of that is we should be guarding our minds from whatever turns us away from him and on to the things of earth, which we'll talk about in just a moment. The point here is that Paul wants us to be disciplined in what we think about whenever we are thinking, which is really all the time. Are you conscious of what you're thinking about when you're headed to the car in the parking lot, when you're driving to work? I had this experience this week just going through these things and learning from the Apostle Paul. I was riding through our neighborhood headed who knows where, and I got to a stop sign, and I thought that my radio was off. There was, I could only hear the, the uh, I don't want to say the roar of my engine. I don't have an engine that roars, but <laughs> it, it chitty, chitty, bang, bang more <laughs> likely. But, um, but I stopped at the stop sign, and it occurred to me, I've been thinking about these things, and I thought, where's my mind right now? What am I thinking about? Lord, what do you want me to think about right now? And it occurred to me that there are people I could be praying for. And I just started praying, Lord, um, how do you want me to minister this week? And what about your word that I read this week can I bring to bear on my heart right now? 
That kind of thinking is what we're talking about. And not exclusively, but the point I want to make here is this should be common for believers. You should become heart smart. You should become mind smart, meaning you know what's happening in your mind. I, I recently heard a man speaking, and he said, you know, when we were trying to teach our kids this when they were young, he said, and so periodically I would go up to my, one of my sons and I'd say, what are you thinking about right now? Well, that's a little intimidating. <laughs> but he was trying to teach his kids. Your thoughts are just going to drift if you don't rein them in. John Owen is helpful on this point. He has a little book called Thinking Spiritually, where he suggests that, quote, we can test, our, we can test ourselves by asking whether our spiritual thoughts are like guests visiting a hotel or like children living at home. There is a temporary stir and bustle when guests arrive, yet within a little while they leave and are forgotten. The hotel is then prepared for other guests. And so it is with spiritual thoughts that are only occasional, like, can I just insert, like when you go to church or when you're trying to be spiritual in front of your friends. But he says, but children belong to their house. They belong to their house. They are missed if they don't come home. Preparation is continually being made for their food and comfort. Spiritual thoughts that arise from true spiritual mindedness are like the children of the house. They're always expected and they are certainly inquired of if missing. The kind of spiritual mindedness Paul is calling for is not something that happens automatically. Like most areas of sanctification, it must be intentionally cultivated. If you are one who faithfully spends time in the Word every day, it is because you have cultivated that. And, and when you don't have it, you feel empty, you feel something is wrong, you, you feel a need for it, because you do need it. But that kind of love for God's Word is cultivated. And so it is with spiritual mindedness. Paul is calling us to do something that is not easy, something that is difficult but reaps wonderful fruit, beautiful fruit, sweet fruit of righteousness. In verse 2 then, Paul says, set your mind on things above and not on the things that are on the earth. And notice the contrast here. On the positive side, we are to set our minds on things above. Negatively, we are not to set our minds on the things of the earth. Now, clearly, Paul's not suggesting that we quit our jobs and form a commune and spend all our time together meditating on the eternal. To the contrary, having a strong work ethic is demonstrably biblical. We should be working. We should be working hard and not making spiritual excuses for not working hard. But God wants us, whenever possible, for our minds to be thinking about Him and about how to serve one another. There are many kinds of spiritual thoughts. Max Anders nudges us in the right direction on Paul's meaning here when he writes that, and I quote, what Paul is saying is that believers are not to be concerned only with the trivialities of the temporal. 
We are to be preoccupied with the things that get top billing in heaven. Heavenly values are to capture our imaginations, our emotions, our thoughts, our feelings, our ideals, and our actions. And by the way, I had a whole section of, of this sermon that I deleted because of time. But when we talk about the mind, we're talking about the inner person. We're talking about the, the real you on the inside. It's synonymous with the heart. And so the believer is to be in everything, in every part of his being, in every sphere of his life, thinking not about earthly things per se, but on every opportunity to discipline yourself to think spiritually. Paul's not talking about being so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. It's probably impossible to do that anyway. You, you can be hypocritically spiritually minded and therefore no earth, and then, then you're, no, you're good for nothing. Rather, he's talking about having a Christ besotted mindset or a Christ saturated mindset that considers the place of Christ and the mind of Christ in every situation. Consider a few practical questions to stir us toward spiritual mindedness. How can I please Christ when my boss is having a bad day? Or when I was reading through this, I thought, when I'm having a bad day. What does Christ want me, how does he want me to respond to my parents when, when their words are careless and hurtful toward me? What has Jesus told me to do when I'm tempted by the lusts of the flesh and the pride of life? How does Christ want me to think about the stimulus check I just received or you think you deserve or are about to receive? How does he want me to respond to the noisy neighbor or his dog's intolerable barking? How should I respond to the beauty of the sunset or some magnificent display of Christ's creative artistry like the thunderstorms we've been having recently. Oh, that was perfectly timed. <laughs> thank, thank you, Lord. <laughs> George Whitfield's most famous sermon went like that. He was talking about the glory of God, and he said something about lightning, and then there was a crash. And uh, they wanted him to put it in the book. He said, I can't, I can't reproduce the lightning in a book. I think it's safe to say that Paul assumes we are not, Paul assumes that we are not in the habit of cultivating this kind of spiritual mindedness. That's why he's telling us to do it. We tend simply to let our minds go where, wherever our impulses lead us. I mean, it's free country, right? I mean, we can do what we want, we can say what we want, we can think what, surely we can think what we want. Yeah, but why do you want that? Is it for the glory of God? Is it just feeding your flesh? Is it good for you? Is it good for Christ? We tend simply to let our minds go wherever the impulses of our hearts lead. And yet though Paul himself was in jail and no doubt had 10,000 things to think about, he clearly had his mind fixed on Christ. That's why he wrote all of the pastoral epistles from that jail cell. Moreover, knowing our propensity to be lazy in our thinking, Paul's determined to raise the bar for us. 
to the glory of Christ and to our own joy. I want you to notice that beginning with verse 5, so we jump ahead here to verse 5, and Paul's going to warn us of no less than 11 sins that Christians are susceptible to. Now, can you guess why that list follows his command to not let your minds dwell on the things of earth? Because that's where you're going to go. You are going to find yourself gravitating toward those sins. And, and perhaps it's because under all such sin is a mind that is full of the earth and full of the world, full of things that feed the flesh that Paul warns us. And perhaps it was because Solomon learned by experience the connection between the secret thoughts of one's mind and the trajectory of one's life that he cautioned his sons in Proverbs 4, saying, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. And if that sounds too poetic to be understandable, let me just make it simple. Son, watch over what you're thinking about, because how you think is how you will live. What you're thinking will dictate your behavior. This is so important for us. It's so important for us. You see, beloved, when it comes to sin, no one falls far. Occasionally we hear about a celebrity pastor or a best-selling Christian author who, whose sexual sin or financial embezzlement suddenly comes to light. It ruins his marriage, it ruins his ministry, ruins his reputation. In such cases, people will naturally be shocked and they'll say things like, wow, I mean, how could that brother who is so spiritual, how could he have fallen so far and so fast? The reality is, he didn't fall far. In his mind, he had been nurturing sexual sin or the love of money where he thought no one else could see or no one else could perceive. But know this, time and truth go hand in hand, as it has been frequently said. Time and truth go hand in hand. Give it enough time, the truth will come out. Inevitably, you'll discover that where your heart is, where your mind goes, will be the seedbed for all of your behavior. Do you want to experience true Christian flourishing and avoid the disastrous consequences of sin? Then watch over your heart with all diligence. Watch over your thoughts. Become heart smart. When you find yourself tempted, ask, what is my heart thinking about? What is my heart yearning for? When you are alone with your own thoughts, ask yourself, how can I engage my mind in things above rather than things of the, of the earth? More simply, where do I get spiritual thoughts? Where do I get spiritual thoughts? I mean, that's a practical question, right? Thankfully, the answer isn't complicated. You're going to be blessed by the next phrase I say. You don't have to go to seminary 
to get spiritually minded. In fact, well, I won't go there. But seminary sometimes has the opposite effect. That doesn't mean don't go. It means wherever you go, keep a close watch on your heart. Frequently ask yourself, what am I thinking about right now? Where's my mind going? The answer's not complicated. How do we, where do we get spiritual thoughts? How do we cultivate this? Well, we get spiritual thinking from the Bible. For example, you can get wonderful spiritual thinking right here in Colossians. We could just go text after text after text just in the book of Colossians, but think about Colossians 1. Now just flip back to the left one page, and you'll see I've got mine entirely highlighted, beginning with verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and in earth, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And the text goes on and on. You can take every little phrase and, and, and just spend time thinking about each aspect of the glory of Christ. And you will be thinking spiritually. That's one way. That's one way. Scriptural thoughts come, come from meditating on the scriptures. Or, if you don't know a scripture, it's not coming to mind, here's, here's a question you could ask yourself. What can I be thankful for right now? Especially, especially if you're having a really hard day and, it's, and your flesh is saying, there is nothing good under the sun. Say to your soul, rather, what have we to be thankful for? What gift have I perceived God has given me today? What personal struggle requires God's wisdom? God's wisdom. That's a good question. What am I struggling with this month, this week, this year? What needs to change in me? For what do you think God has been worthy of my worship in the past 24 hours? I mean, you should be able to come up with five things off the top of your head. And we got to see our grandbabies this week. We're getting rain. Blessed rain, our creek almost dried up. These are things to be thankful for. These are things to worship God over, he who controls the weather. What wisdom do I need to encourage someone else who may be struggling? And as you engage in your mind, spiritual thoughts, you will find yourself speaking to God about them. And you will find yourself seeking Christ as a result of setting your mind on things above. And that, beloved, is the core of Christianity. Setting your mind on Christ and seeking Christ. At the end of Paul's exhortation here, he offers us the basis or the grounds, the reasons, maybe motivations for telling us to set our minds on things above. Specifically, he offers three things. Number one, a past reality. Number two, a present truth. And number three, a future expectation. This is beautiful. First, a past reality. Watch this. This is verse three. Four, okay, so the four tells us this is why. This is why. This is the ground. This is the basis, or maybe this is the motivation behind 
my exhortation for you to set your mind on things above. For you have died. <laughs> that doesn't sound like much motivation, unless you understand what Paul is saying. For you have died. Oh, we could look at so many texts here, but Galatians 6.14, how about this one? The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, Paul's saying, because of Christ's atoning work on my behalf, sin no longer has dominion over me. Sin no longer has dominion over me. You know, I think he might be saying, you should, you should cultivate spiritual thinking because you can. You used to not be able to, and you used to not want to. But now that you have died to sin, and sin has died, been crucified to you, you don't have to do that anymore. You actually can have glorious, Christ-exalting, soul-feeding thoughts. Whenever I give in to temptation, beloved, I do something I didn't have to do because I've died in Christ. In Christ, I have died to the power of sin. I heard Steve Lawson this week tell a story about a couple of teenage girls who enjoyed attending those raunchy, drunken parties that sometimes they do with their friends. But one day, both of them bowed the knee before Christ both of them received the Lord as their Lord and Savior. And shortly afterwards, they received an invitation to one of those parties. But the girls, new in Christ, wrote back by email and said, we regret to let you know that we will be unable to attend your party this week because we have recently died. We don't live for that anymore. It's not what gives us life anymore. It never did give us life. It just felt like it for a little while. We have died with Christ. You see, beloved, unbelievers can't know the joy of relishing the glory of Christ. The reason you, you do have that privilege is because you have died to sin. And you have died to the world. Who is there to rob you of such delight now? Only you. Only you. Who is there to rob you? A mind set on Christ is the healthiest, most joyful mind a human being can have. And it's yours for the taking. If you are in Christ, I was reading uh, Matthew Henry this week, and he said, it's important to note here, that this is not, a, not just a command from God, it's an invitation. Ponder that. Talk about spiritual thinking. Ponder that. He invites you to enter his presence and to delight in him. The second basis that Paul offers for his appeal to us to be spiritually minded is a present truth, again, verse 3, namely, that your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The word hidden can carry the idea of protection from harm, a place of safety, refuge. 
And because you are in Christ, you are under his constant care. You are secure. It's one thing for God to say, you no longer have to submit to sin anymore. It's another to say, you not only have, not only don't have to submit to sin, but I am protecting you from its consequences, its eternal consequences, and even the temporal consequences. Because you are in Christ, you are under his constant care. You are secure. In fact, you are doubly secure. Paul says, now you are hidden with Christ. What's the next two words? In God. Isn't that beautiful? This is reminiscent of John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus says, I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That's security, isn't it? I mean, for us, that would be enough. But he takes a breath and keeps going. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. They are not only one essentially as co-equal members of the Trinity, but they are one in their resolve to protect you and preserve you to the end. Hidden can also mean hidden from sight. Your unbelieving friends don't understand you because they cannot see the real but invisible relationship you have with Christ. If they, you know, if they hear you, if you, if they hear you verbalize your thoughts about Christ, they might think you're a little mad. My grandfather was frequently called a fanatic because he would, as he drove around in his little Volvo, he would talk to the Lord. He'd talk to the Lord. And he would talk to the Lord and run a stop sign. <laughs> and my mom would say, Dad, I uh, appreciate that you're talking to the Lord and everything, but maybe I should drive. <laughs> One day, this invisibility of our relationship will, with Christ will become visible. And this is the third basis, verse 4. It points to our future expectation. Namely, when Christ is revealed, you will be revealed with him in glory. Those who have lived their entire lives denying the reality of the living Christ will discover to their everlasting shame and horror that they had played the fool all their lives. One day, the invisible will become visible. And on that day, listen carefully, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I don't know why you're not saying amen and hallelujah to that, but we ought to. That is our future hope. And if all of that is true, and it is, then we have good reason to discipline ourselves every day. And we have an endless supply 
an endless supply of reasons, an endless supply of truth. We have every reason to discipline ourselves every day, to set our minds on things above, and to be careful not to set our minds on things of earth. You know, it's so easy to do this. I suppose it's always been easy to do, but especially in our technological age where your brains are in your back pocket, and so is every form of media, entertainment, advertising, and then you go home and you get more of the same on bigger screens, and, and uh, listen, we don't need any new laws about how to govern entertainment, but what we need is spiritual mindedness. When we come back next week, we're going to look at these lists of sins. There's a reason why Paul talks about these things before he talks about sins. Because the core of Christianity is not subduing sin. The core of Christianity is set your mind on things above and seek him who is above. And if you're doing that, the allure of sin loses its power. You find yourself not longing for it anymore. Beloved, this is, this is so simple and so powerful. How do you cultivate a mind that gravitates back to the blazing center of Christianity where Christ is? Here's some simple things. Spend time with God. Read his word. Meditate on his truth. Talk about him with your friends and with your family. Let your everyday talk, Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? Let your everyday talk be often about Christ. By the way, I love the fact, this is a fact about our church that has been true as long as I can remember being here, that when our men get together, I usually don't hear what the women are talking about, but when the men get together, they're generally not talking about who did what on the on the. The, the ball field or, or whatever. They're, they're talking about things that, that honor the Lord and are focused on Christ more often than not. Another way is just, and I've already mentioned this, but become heart smart. Become aware of where your heart is leading your mind and, and listen, forcefully turn your mind back to Christ. And another thing, read Great books. Read Owen. Read the Puritans. Read the few and very rare books that are coming out being published now. And you'll find yourself as you engage in these things and say no to other things. By the way, just to give you a hint of something I've done recently is there were a couple of couple of apps on my website, on my phone, that I would just gravitate to. News and something else. Music, like three different kinds. And why do I need three different apps to give me the news and the weather? Delete, delete, delete. It's just saved me all kinds of time that I can use for reading or whatever. Oh, beloved, this is God's will for you, that you rein in your thoughts and that you are intentional, not only with your behavior, but first of all, with your mind. Copernicus discovered 
the key to the solar system when he began orienting his thinking away from Earth and onto the sun. Similarly, those who wish to discover the key to Christian flourishing must focus their orientation toward the blazing center of all things where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And when our hearts are fixed on him, everything else in our lives find their proper orbit. So keep seeking Christ and keep setting your mind on Christ. This is the core of Christianity. Let's pray. Father, we love your word. And Lord, we love it when we see you again and again inviting us to the things that our souls truly yearn for. And yet, Father, we confess, we confess that our hearts, though they have been redeemed, yet we have not been perfected. We are still living between the atonement of Jesus Christ and his return. And while it's true that we don't have to sin anymore, nevertheless, our hearts still gravitate toward those things. We praise you that we now, in Christ, no longer have to go there. So, Father, I pray that you would teach us and help us cultivate it within our own lives an aversion to the world and a deep and abiding love for Christ. May our thinking of him calls us to be holy not only in the heart but in our actions as well for the glory of Jesus and for our own joy, we pray. Amen.